Hello everyone, this is Melissa with Haven Craft, and this is part of our ongoing series that we call Honest Witch. Honest Witch is designed to provide no-nonsense, no-bullshit, historically accurate, and easy-to-understand information about witchcraft and occultism. Today's topic is cursing, whether or not you are forbidden to curse, or if there are any kind of consequences for cursing, if you are a practicing witch or occultist. Now, as always, Havencraft is an interfaith, intercultural, intersectional, and inclusive safe space. We don't care what you believe or what you practice, as long as you are respectful of everyone else's beliefs and practices. We say that the only thing that we're intolerant of is intolerance. So I don't care whether you're listening to this podcast as an atheist or an agnostic or someone who's questioning or someone who is firmly spiritual. That's not what we're addressing in today's topic. As long as humanity has believed in deities, the supernatural, the power of something beyond what they could explain with what they could touch or see, um, we've believed in curses. Whether or not you fall in the atheist or spiritualist spectrum, whether you're a skeptic or a firm believer, whether you're questioning or whether you, you kind of know what you think, you can see that there's a anthropological cultural significance to humans believing in curses. Uh, these beliefs that something could cause negative or harmful repercussions to you because you had violated a cultural taboo or pissed off the wrong person or pissed off the wrong god are very much entwined with human consciousness, showing up in everything from our mythology to our media. Archaeological finds and cultural anthropology give evidence of a plethora of ancient curses and protective spells found in the tablets of Sumer to the oral traditions of First Nations people all the world over. Although the methodology of curses varies between cultures, locations, religions, beliefs, and times, the intention of a curse has been consistently to conjure a power to inflict misfortune, punishment, or education, though occasionally not a very friendly delivery mechanism for that education, to a target. Although curses are often referred to as jinxes, hexes, or dark or black spells, they're really not the same thing. We've addressed this in our Ask a Witch portion of our YouTube channel, so I'm only going to touch on it shortly. A jinx just means that you're suffering from bad luck or general misfortune. A hex is another word for a spell um, performed by a hexenmeister, a spellmaster from the particular Germanic traditions um, and Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. Uh, like any other spell, they can be good or bad based on what intention is behind it from the person who's performed it. So hex just means spell. Um, I tend to find the term dark or black magic racist, which again we recently addressed in uh, Ask a Witch video, so I'm not going to address it here. However, if you're saying dark or black because it summons the power of nighttime or the power of darkness, then okay, sure, but why would that necessarily be a curse? 
Um, curses are sometimes verbalized, written, or cast through elaborate ritual. They sometimes fall upon an entire family line due to action or inaction on their part. Or in some cultures, they can even be cast by a gaze. Um, in antiquity, a curse was considered a really powerful phenomenon, um, which it was just sort of regular good common sense to follow through a variety of folk superstitions in order to avoid that. Um, we have a whole YouTube series focusing on curses throughout history, starting in ancient Fertile Crescent and coming all the way up to now. Um, so I'm not going to spend today's podcast discussing all those different cultures and how they practiced. Um, Often, if you believed yourself to be cursed, you could seek a spiritual or magical assistance person, um, some kind of practitioner, a religious leader, a healer, um, a priest, a priestess, a witch, and have the curse reversed through some kind of counter-ritual, superstitious practice, folk magic, prayer, um, sometimes curses are reversed by learning the lesson it was trying to teach, by killing the person who cast it, or by begging that person to remove it, saying basically, like, I've suffered enough. Um, some cultures include in their beliefs a way to avoid being cursed in the first place. Basically, that if you do enough prayers or offerings to deities, carry blessed objects, or um, act in a pious or dogmatic fashion, you can avoid a curse ever falling upon you. Um, the purpose of spells and curses was and remains today aimed at punishing or changing behavior, um, warding off disaster, or controlling the actions of other people. Um, but today's topic isn't what curses are. It's should you or should you not practice cursing yourself, because this is a big debate in the pagan and spiritual and New Age communities. Um... So I'm going to start with why some practitioners insist that witchcraft does not include curses. Many modern witches, Wiccans, and New Age practitioners are against what they call baneful magic. Um, that doesn't mean that the practice doesn't exist. Uh, however, some practitioners will insist that curses are forbidden, or they pull the no true Scotsman and say that no true witch would ever curse anyone. Um... Now, historically, cursing is part of witchcraft. It's either something that witches do or something that witches remove. You can see this throughout human history. However, there are those, and I've met them, so uh, who insist that this is all the Christian church slandering witches and that witches never actually practiced curses. Um, the witches of my family line certainly did, so I disagree with them fundamentally on that. Now, whether or not they should is a different matter entirely. So let's start with the first question. Is it forbidden? In what practice? Is it forbidden to all witches? No, there is no authority that can forbid cursing to all witches. Um, there is no witch pope. There is no one who can excommunicate you for practicing witchcraft in a fashion that they don't agree with. Is it forbidden to witches of certain practices? Maybe. There is an argument in most practices over cursing. 
I will start with Wicca because it's the most prominent example of a tradition that includes the practice of magic and which is often referenced as one that forbids curses. Many Wiccans will tell you that they are forbidden to cause harm to another through magical means or to interfere with another person's free will. There are a variety of arguments against it, some more educated than others. Incorrect arguments against Wiccans practicing cursing. The Wiccan reed commands to harm none, on account of the fact that the reed doesn't actually say this. Uh, Wiccans just don't. Doreen Valiente, Gardner's student, worked baneful magic and wrote about it. Good arguments against Wiccans practicing cursing. The Ardanes forbid harmful magic, assuming you find the Ardanes to be worth the paper that they're printed on, and the law of return. Um, and also, if you as a Wiccan just don't want to, that's certainly valid. Let's start with the fact that the reed does not mean the law. It means counsel, advice, a story, or an interpretation. An example from fiction. Take my reed, sir, and let it drop, because you have come very well out from it. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. See how it's synonymous with advice and not with law. The Wiccan reed consists of two simple lines. And ye harm none, do what ye will. Many people abbreviate the reed to two words, harm none. The problem is that the phrase means something very different. Harm none is a commandment telling you not to cause harm. And ye harm none, do what ye will is permissive. It tells you that so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, you may act in freedom in all things. But one cannot harm none. It really isn't possible. We cause harm every day, whether we mean to or not. If you insist harm none just means pacifism or vegetarianism or veganism, you're drawing an arbitrary line in regard to what counts as harm. So what about actions that do cause harm? Are you down with killing animals for food? Most but not all people say that this is acceptable harm, especially if the killing is done humanely. Are you killing an animal because you want to see something die? Most people would say no. Sadistic gratification is not a positive gain. Doreen Valiente, Gardner's high priestess, said, Witches do not believe the true morality consists of observing a list of thou shalt nots. Their morality can be summed up in one sentence. Do what you will, so long as it harms none. This does not mean, however, that witches are pacifists. They say that to allow wrong to flourish unchecked is not harming none. On the contrary, it is harming everybody. End Doreen Valiente's quote. The Lysian tradition attempts to clarify the matter with a slightly longer read. And it harm none, do as you will. And it harm ha or cause harm, I can talk, do as you must. Many, many people refer to the Wiccan credo or the read of the Wicca by Lady Gwen Thompson, a.k.a. Phyllis Thompson, in 1975 as the actual read. She claimed it was taught to her by her grandmother, but this really doesn't make much sense as this would have meant that her grandmother was Wiccan before Wicca existed. In reality, the Wiccan Credo is a separate document that just happens to state the reed at its end. The Wiccan Credo came out of Lady Gwen's tradition, the New England Coven of Traditionalist Witches, within Wicca, and there's no expectations that Wiccans ever be held accountable to the practices of a tradition of which they are not a part. That's kind of like saying that a Catholic has to follow the same rules as an Episcopalian or a Protestant. There are branches. 
As for the Ardanes, sometimes called the Old Laws, those are attributed to the New Forest Coven, but were likely written by Gerald Gardner in 1957. Supposedly, the Ardanes were passed down through the years within the coven that introduced Gardner to Wicca. The problem is that no one's sure if the New Forest Coven even existed. There's certainly no historical evidence that it did, or if it did, how old or organized it was. Even Gardner confessed that what they taught was fragmentary. The Ardanes did not even come to light until 1957, when a disagreement broke out over Gardner's continued interviews with the press, despite his own rules concerning secrecy. Doreen Valiente and another governor created the Proposed Rules of the Craft, which included a stipulation concerning the granting of interviews. Gardner claimed that these proposed rules were unneeded since the craft already had a set of traditional laws. He then sent his coveners the Old Laws, a rambling document containing rules, cautions, practical advice, and a smattering of theology. Valiente doubted the authenticity of these Old Laws and strongly opposed them. Doreen Valiente later told Aidan A. Kelly, author of Inventing Witchcraft, a case study in the creation of a new religion, that she had received the old laws in Gardner's handwriting, which she and her coven burned in their cauldron as an act of, um, we'll call it literary criticism. She doubted very much that the Ardanes were authentic or that they had existed before her rules created stipulations that Gardner didn't want to follow. Large sections of the Ardanes did appear, at least in concept, in Gardner's Witchcraft Today in 1954. The other interesting fact to note is that the archaic language used in the Ardanes is uneven, employing both modern and archaic phrases. This has led to the theory that Gardner may have assembled the laws from multiple older fragments, adding in what he wished in places and making no note of what was older and what was his own extrapolation. It should also be noted that while the old laws speak only of the punishment of burning of witches, England mostly hung their witches. Scotland, however, did burn them. The version linked to... Oops, sorry. I'm going to go ahead and include a link to the Ardanes um, in the transcript of this particular Honest Witch segment. Please be aware that it is really sexist and really ageist, as well as saturated with the paranoia associated with the myth of the burning times. The Law of Return. Simply put, the Law of Return states that all actions have repercussions. There are many versions of the Law of Return. Sometimes the Law of Return contains a number, like all things will return threefold or sevenfold or tenfold. The Wiccan version of the threefold law, or the rule of three, is often phrased as, Ever mind the rule of three, three times three your acts return to thee. This lesson well thou must learn, thou only gets what thee dost earn. Other phrases emphasize morality and success, such as the one from the Wiccan credo. Mind the threefold law you should, three times bad and three times good. Another version, ensure that your actions are honorable, for all that you do shall return to you threefold, good or bane. Author Phyllis Currott refers to this as the boomerang whammy rule in her book Witchcrafting, A Spiritual Guide to Making Magic. She finds it overly simple. The world does not work as these phrases make it sound. I find that saying, if you do good, it will return to you however many fold, is a trifle victim blaming. It implies that those who do not have good things happen to them deserve it, as they are not putting enough good out. I also find that telling someone the reason why they shouldn't do bad is because some mystical punishment will fall upon them is not only an ineffective means of control, it's bad observation. 
We can look around the world and see many, many bad people doing bad things and reaping billion-dollar rewards from it. The reason to do good is to do good. The reason not to do bad is to not do bad. Not because someone is going to smack you with the bad person stick. So it boils down to, should you do it? My entire perspective on curses is pretty much my entire perspective on hurting another person or preventing them from acting. If magic is real, which most days I believe that it is, then magic has real-world effects, which most days I believe that it does. If I wouldn't do it with my hands, then I won't do it with my magic. If I wouldn't hit someone, then I won't curse them. If I wouldn't bind someone's hands so that they can't take an action, I won't bind their magic. But see, sometimes my answer is, yes, I would do that. I would hit that person. I would tie that person up. For example, if I see someone brutally abusing someone under their power, I would absolutely act to stop them. But there are better ways to handle that than magic. Oftentimes, what we really should be doing is calling CPS or calling in some kind of outside power, such as the police. However, having said that, please keep in mind that right now, that which is in power doesn't always side with the victim. There's a very good reason why someone who's been sexually assaulted may choose to curse the person who assaulted them rather than seek police intervention, which can lead to their re-victimization and re-traumatization. Cursing is often a way to feel as though you have power in a situation where the mundane or analog world has stripped you of it. So, keep that in mind before you say, you should never curse someone. Someone might be cursing the person who hurt them very badly. And it may be the only way they have of reclaiming a sense of individual power. Havencraft tends to boil it down to a very simple rule. Make up your own damn mind. You will have to determine your ethics on cursing for yourself. And in my personal opinion, it's not whether it returns upon you, however many fold, which should determine that for you. It's whether or not you believe that what you're doing is right in that moment, in that time, in that set of circumstances, and for who you want to be tomorrow.